Yes, hello. Welcome to Computer Literacy, Episode 0. Computers typically count things with the first item starting at zero, so we'll be doing the same. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the history of computing, starting with the origins of the first mechanical calculators and programmable machines, then on to the evolution of electronic and digital computers. When we use the word computer these days, we are really referring to digital computers. But in the past, there have been other kinds of computers. The word computer originally referred to a profession. Just like when we have the names of professions like doctor, carpenter, or driver, a computer was a person who performed calculations. People were hired to do arithmetic as a job, computing numbers and equations, and even helping in code breaking. The first notable use of the word computer was in 1613 in a book called The Young Man's Gleanings by Richard Braithwaite, who is an English writer. And the reference was not to some sort of a device, but to human computers. For several centuries, human computers were hired to help with calculations relating to astronomy, weather patterns, maritime tables for positioning, mathematical tables for approximating logarithms and trigonometric functions, even up to the studies relating to nuclear fission in the Manhattan Project to design the first atomic bomb. Their tasks would be divided up to be worked on in parallel, but also two or more people would often be given the same task to compute in order to compare results afterwards to reduce the likelihood of errors. These human computers often used devices to aid in their calculations. The fastest and most popular of these was the abacus, invented in the Middle East sometime around 500 BC. The abacus remained the best calculating tool until the 17th century, when the first practical mechanical calculator called the Pascaline was invented by French scientist and philosopher Blaise Pascal for his father's tax collection business. The Pascaline, although vastly ahead of the abacus, could only add and subtract and had no memory. It had a series of interlocking cogs that could add and subtract decimal numbers. 29 years later in Germany, a mathematician and philosopher named Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz invented a similar but more advanced device that instead of cogs had a stepped drum, a cylinder with teeth of increasing length around its edge. This new mechanical calculator, named of course the Leibniz machine, could also divide, multiply, and work out square roots in addition to being able to add and subtract like the Pascaline. It is also the first mechanical calculator with a memory storage feature. Besides inventing this pretty dope calculator, Leibniz was also notable for working with numbers in base 2, also known as binary, as opposed to the familiar base 10 numbering system favored by creatures with 10 fingers. However, it wasn't until 100 years after his death in 1854 that an English mathematician named George Boole used Leibniz's binary system to invent a new branch of mathematics called Boolean algebra, which deals directly with logical operations represented in this binary system of 1 and 0, which are assigned the values true and false. This field of study is the foundation for designing circuits made up of logic gates, which are the foundation of all digital computation, which is a topic we'll discuss further in a future episode. Now to be clear, neither the Abacus, nor the Pascaline, nor the Leibniz machine was a computer, because they still needed human operators. They performed calculations, but they were unable to operate automatically on a series of stored instructions, what we call a program today. These inventions were important precursors to modern computing, and provide some of the motivation and ideas for computers two centuries later. The first known programmable machine was invented in 1804 by a Frenchman named Joseph Marie Jacquard. The machine made use of a program stored in the form of holes punched in cards, which controlled the weaving of cloth into pre-specified patterns. While the system was designed for the automation of textile manufacturing, it greatly influenced the design of early computers. Fifteen years later, in 1819, an English mathematician named Charles Babbage took a crack at building a programmable calculator inspired by the design of Jacquard's punched card-driven loom. He was given a grant of 1,700 pounds by the British government to design a mechanical device to help the army compile the numerical tables that helped their gunners fire cannons more accurately. Babbage came up with a hulking machine the size of a steam engine that was considerably bigger and more complex than both the Pascaline and the Leibniz machine. 
He called his machine the difference engine, and it was designed with an input, a way of feeding in numbers, a memory, something to store these numbers while complex calculations are taking place, a processor, the number cruncher that carried out the calculations, and an output, or a printing mechanism. This is roughly the same basic architecture shared by all modern computers and why Babbage is considered one of the fathers of computing. He worked with the Countess Ada Byron, who helped him refine his ideas for making his machine programmable and who published the first algorithm designed to be carried out by a machine, arguably making her the first computer programmer. Unfortunately for our young entrepreneurs, the difference engine turned out to be vastly more expensive and difficult to develop than originally budgeted, and Babbage never completed the final product. During the project, he realized that the same basic design could be used for more general applications besides just artillery calculations, and he began work on an improved machine he called the analytical engine, whose abstract design was not at all unlike that of a modern computer, but in more of a mechanical form. It was too complex and ahead of its time, and it was not completed in its lifetime either. It's pretty wild to think about how different history might have been had he been able to complete his working mechanical computer in the 1840s and kicked off the computer revolution a hundred years earlier. While Charles Babbage was not able to complete his machines, some other inventors had it better in the 19th century. Hermann Hollerith was perhaps the most successful of the lot. Hollerith was an American statistician who invented what he termed the tabulator to help with the compilation of census figures. Before this invention, census analyses were done by hand, and they took about seven and a half years as the American population grew with the mass immigration of the 1880s. Given the fact that a census was required every 10 years, this was shaping up to be quite a nightmare, as statisticians figured out that if the trend continued, census counts would overlap with each other. The invention of the tabulator solved this problem. The machine was able to tally the figures within six weeks and finish up the entire analysis in two and a half years, saving the government about $5 million. Realizing his machine could also perform other functions, Hollerith decided to set up a company in 1896 to manufacture it commercially. The name of the company was the Tabulating Machine Company, which some years later was changed to the Computer Tabulating Recording Company, and finally renamed in 1924 to International Business Machines, more commonly known by its abbreviation IBM. Hollerith also invented an automatic device for reading in input data from punched cards, very similar to those used by the Jacquard Loom. These cards became the standard way to feed in programs and data to computers up till about the 1980s. These were often known as IBM cards or Hollerith cards, even when they are produced by other companies and people. By the turn of the 20th century, the computer was still an unwieldy analog contraption that took several days of wheel cranking and belt turning before the results could appear. One notable inventor of both analog and digital computers in the first four decades of the 20th century was Vannevar Bush. Bush was a U.S. government scientist that developed some of the world's most powerful calculators at this time. In 1925, he made the new recording product integraph multiplier, which was followed some years later by the differential analyzer, which used gears, belts, levers, and shafts to represent numbers and carry out calculations in a physical way, like an enormous mechanical slide rule. His best invention, called the Rockefeller Differential Analyzer, was assembled in 1935 from 320 kilometers of wire and 150 electric motors. Besides the enormous machines he produced, Bush is also notable for mentoring Claude Shannon, a brilliant mathematician and the father of information theory and modern telecommunications and compression. Shannon figured out how electrical circuits could be linked together in what are called logic gates to process information with Boolean algebra to allow computers to make simple decisions and perform calculations on binary numbers. One more important contributor to the foundations of modern computing was Alan Turing, a Cambridge mathematician who in 1936 
at the age of 23, wrote a groundbreaking mathematical paper called On Computable Machines with an Application to the einstein dukes Problem, meaning the halting problem or decision problem in English, in which he described a theoretical computer capable of reading instructions and data, processing them, writing the results, and continuing on until the stored program either ended or didn't. In addition to laying some of the conceptual and mathematical foundations for programmable computers, Turing also played a leading role in the invention of the code-breaking machine called the Colossus that the British government used to break the German Enigma code in World War II. It's a pretty amazing story, immortalized in the film The Imitation Game, and also in the United Kingdom's brand new 50-pound notes featuring his quote, This is only a foretaste of what is to come, and only the shadow of what is going to be. Now, up until this point, the computers we've talked about have basically been mechanical in nature rather than electronic. Their operation is in the world of analog, with moving parts and gears and a more physical nature. This is in contrast to the digital computers of today that we're familiar with. In a digital computer, we represent information as binary digits, known as bits for short, with ones and zeros, or on-off switches, or as the presence or absence of electrons flowing in a circuit, or as true or false, like in Boolean algebra. They're all the same thing. In a digital binary system, we only consider the states 1 and 0, nothing in between. You can't have a value like sort of true or kind of false, only two discrete values, true and false. That's it. It's this basic property that allows us to construct more and more complex logical circuits and computers upon this simple yet powerful foundation. So what was the first binary computer? Well, you probably haven't heard of it, but a German inventor named Konrad Zuse invented an electromechanical machine he called the Z1 in 1938. He built the device weighing 1,000 kilograms in his parents' living room in Berlin after quitting his job at the airplane factory. I think it's fairly safe to say he was a bit of a nerd. Sadly, the computer and its designs were destroyed by bombs dropped in World War II in 1943, although there is a replica he built sitting in the German Museum of Technology today. He says of his Z1 computer, Back then, it didn't function well, and in that regard, the replica is very reliable. It also doesn't work very well. Just a year after Zeus built his Z1, an American physicist named John Atanasoff, along with his assistant Clifford Berry, built a more advanced binary machine that they named the atanasoff berry Computer, or the ABC. The Z1 and the ABC were the first machines to use electrical switches to store numbers, with the switch representing the number 0 when off and the number 1 when on. They were digital machines that stored numbers as binary digits, unlike the earlier analog machines which stored numbers using the positions of wheels and rods. In 1944, an American mathematician named Howard Eichen built the first large-scale digital computer in Harvard University sponsored by IBM. Known as the Harvard Mark I, or the IBM Automatic Sequence Control Calculator, this machine stretched 15 meters in length and used about 3,300 electromagnetic relays to store and process numbers. These relays were electrically operated magnets that were used for automatically switching lines and telephone exchanges. Now, while relays are impressive, they were too large and drew too much power. A better switch was needed, and this was to be the vacuum tube, which is a device as big as a thumb, which glows red-hot like a tiny electric light bulb. It was invented in 1906 and was originally called the Audion because it helped amplify weak radio signals. The first computer to use the vacuum tube was the ABC, which used about 300 vacuum tubes, followed by Turing's code-breaking Colossus in 1943, which used about 2,000. Due to the secrecy surrounding the Colossus and its rather narrow purpose, the Electronic Numerical Integrator and Calculator, known as ENIAC, is generally regarded as the world's first fully electronic, general-purpose digital computer. This machine was invented in 1946 by two scientists from the University of Pennsylvania, John Mouchley and J. Presper Eckert. 
The ENIAC was around 24 meters in length, weighed 30 tons, and contained about 18,000 vacuum tubes. After producing the ENIAC, Eckert and Mauchly formed the Eckert-Mauchly Computer Corporation, teaming up with John von Neumann to produce a better machine called EDVAC, which stands for Electronic Discrete Variable Automatic Computer. They enlisted the help of a computer scientist named Grace Hopper, who invented the first compiler, a tool that allowed computers to be programmed in a language kind of resembling English, instead of writing programs in mathematical symbols and numbers representing machine instructions. She went on to create the first high-level programming language named COBOL, an acronym for Common Business Oriented Language, which enabled data processor technicians to write and maintain programs much more easily, and still runs on many corporate and financial systems today. With COBOL and their new computer designs, they produced the world's first large-scale commercial computer called the Universal Automatic Computer, known as the UNIVAC, in 1951. Just like Holleris tabulator, the UNIVAC was used for processing data from the U.S. Census. However, it was still based on vacuum tubes, which is proving to be a problem for operating these machines. While vacuum tubes were better than relays, they were still too large, consumed too much power, and had to be replaced often when they got too hot or when they were short-circuited by moths, which are attracted to the bright lights. There are claims that the modern allusion to bugs crashing computer programs started in reference to these moths. A better digital switch was needed, and that came with the invention of the point contact transistor by three scientists from Bell Telephone Laboratories, John Bardeen, Walter Bratain, and William Shockley. When only Bardeen and Bratain were given credit for the invention and awarded a patent by Bell Labs, an enraged Shockley invented an even better design, the junction transistor, which is still commonly used. Just like vacuum tubes, transistors could be used either as amplifiers or as switches. Where the transistor beats the vacuum tube is in size, as well as in the fact that it requires far less power and is absolutely reliable. The foundation of Silicon Valley started with Shockley's formation of his own company called Shockley Transistor, which hired some of the smartest graduates from various American universities, including the young electrical engineer Robert Noyce and a research chemist named Gordon Moore. It didn't take long for his employees to get fed up with Shockley's bullying, and in 1956, eight of them, including Noyce and Moore, left to form Fairchild Semiconductor in the same Palo Alto area of California. It was at Fairchild Semiconductor, alongside the Dallas Laboratories of Texas Instruments, that the idea of automatically integrating transistors in one circuit to create the integrated circuit was actualized. These small black integrated circuits are what we call computer chips today. Before the integrated circuit, transistors had to be wired by hand, sometimes thousands of them, a process that was laborious, costly, and problematic. The integrated circuit helped to considerably shrink the size of the computer, leading to an explosion in the production and sale of computers by the 1960s. By this time, integrated circuits were becoming even more advanced with computer chips containing thousands of components. Robert Noyce and Gordon Moore left Fairchild Semiconductor in 1968 to form their own company, which they called Integrated Electronics, or Intel for short. Engineers at Intel soon realized that instead of making specialist chips for different computers, they could make a universal chip that could be programmed to do any sort of work required of it. This was the general purpose single chip computer or microprocessor, an invention that ushered in the era of personal computers. A popular Intel microprocessor called the 8080 was launched in 1974, inspiring many computer hobbyists to build home computers designed around it. Before this time, computers were manufactured for commercial purposes for companies or governments. The possibility of a world where computers could be portable inspired many inventors to produce smaller computers for personal use at home. First successful home computer was the Altair 8800, built by Ed Roberts. Despite its weird look by today's standards, having a front panel covered in red LED lights and toggle switches, it was a sensation at the time, and thousands were sold. 
Inspired by the Altair, a young Hewlett-Packard employee and member of the homebrew computer club called Steve Wozniak built a better home computer which he called the Apple One. Seeing the potential of the Apple One, many of Wozniak's friends requested he build one for them, while one friend named Steve Jobs convinced Wozniak to go into a partnership with him. Their company, called Apple Computer Corporation, sold 175 Apple Ones for $666 apiece. Wozniak and Jobs followed this up with the production of the Apple II, the world's first easy-to-use home microcomputer, and more than 50,000 pieces were sold at a price point of $1,300, making Apple one of the biggest technology companies in the world. It was the perfect computer for small firms at the time, with a disk drive that made it easy to store data in a spreadsheet program called VisiCalc, which gave Apple users the ability to analyze that data. Worried by Apple's astronomical rise and aware that it could soon become obsolete, IBM decided to branch into the production of personal computers, releasing the IBM Personal Computer, known as Acorn, in 1981 based on an Intel 8080 microprocessor. This became highly successful, mostly because it had an operating system that could act as an intermediary between a user's programs and the machine's hardware. This operating system was known as PC-DOS, or Personal Computer Disk Operating System, designed for IBM by a tiny company called Microsoft, which made software for microcomputers, founded by two childhood friends, Bill Gates and Paul Allen. DOS was based on a project called QDOS, for a quick and dirty operating system, which Microsoft acquired from Seattle Computer Products. The IBM Acorn with PC-DOS was a huge hit and took the lead in the brand new hot personal computing industry. After being removed from the top spot in the production of personal computers by IBM's Acorn, Wozniak and Jobs' Apple Computer released a new easy-to-use computer called the Apple Lisa in 1983 at $10,000 apiece. What set the Apple Lisa apart from other computers was its graphical user interface, a screen with little icons that could be interacted with with a mouse instead of a text-based interface. Although a commercial flop, the Apple Lisa became the precursor to Apple's next computer, the Apple Macintosh, which was released the next year in 1984. Steve Jobs got the idea for the Apple Lisa from the Xerox Alto, a $40,000 advanced computer with a desktop-like screen with menus and icons designed and built by the Palo Alto Research Center arm of the Xerox Corporation known as Xerox Park. The introduction of Apple's user-friendly picture icon computers helped to win back market share from IBM, but Microsoft ended up taking over with its new operating system. Seeing how well the Macintosh worked, Bill Gates launched Windows, a graphical version of his Microsoft DOS software, which was different from PC-DOS that he sold to IBM. Apple saw Windows as an obvious ripoff of the Macintosh, despite the fact that Steve Jobs stole the idea from Xerox PARC, and Apple sued Microsoft in 1988 for $5.5 billion. This was settled four years later, with Microsoft investing in Apple and gaining the rights to imitate the Macintosh's physical outlook in all Windows designs. With Apple's later introduction of the smartphone, pocket-sized portable computers have become the norm, truly making computers ubiquitous and accessible to billions of people. While it's vastly smaller and cheaper and faster, the basic design and functionality of the computer in your smartphone is really not so different from the early programmable calculating machines. It's a device that can read and input, operate on stored programs, perform simple arithmetic and logic, store and retrieve data, and provide some output to the user. This is the core of computing and what drives nearly every modern digital device, and it's what we'll take a look at in more detail in forthcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed that and want to learn more or join our community or give feedback, check out the website howto.computer. That's how, then the number two, dot computer. See you next time.